Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to episode four, and we are in this series of a Protestant Reformation in 2017. The subtitle of this series is Time to Clean House. By that, I mean clean up the church and get back to the biblical issues that really make a difference for the kingdom. Hi, I'm Kent Hunter, the church doctor, one of the church doctors. There are many of them on our team, and they're scattered all over the place and work with churches of all kinds. But this one you've got today is Kent Hunter, and I am sharing with you my 95 theses, one episode at a time. We're taking a chunk of them each time, and I'm commenting on each of them. I hope you're taking notes because these 95 theses are, I believe, a real insight to the way that the church can find renewal today. And with that renewal, God will bless it to see productivity in the area of reaching new people for Jesus. And I might add, what in the world is more important than that? To reach another person for Jesus for eternity their lives are changed forever. Their worldview is changed. Their values are changed. Their beliefs are changed. Attitudes are changed. Worldviews, everything. Everything is changed. You know, Jesus said, behold, I make everything new again. He makes people new again. And if I have to convince you that our world really needs it, then turn me off and turn on a television news program. You'll get the drift. But I think you're probably already there or you wouldn't be listening. And I thank you for joining me. I find this stuff very exciting. I uh, am grateful that God has given me the opportunity to work with literally thousands of churches and tens of thousands of great Christian people from all different backgrounds of Christianity. I just love it. It's what I was born to do. And all the people on our staff at Church Doctor Ministries are the same way. They are wonderful people sold out to helping the local church become more effective, healthier, vital. That's why I wrote the book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival. It's why I continue to work hard and train other consultants to help churches because, quite frankly, a lot of Christian people are waking up and saying, we can't go on this way. We can't go on this way as a church. We can't go on this way as a nation. And I strongly suspect, even though I don't know you personally, and I wish I did, I strongly suspect you have had a wake-up call, which is a divinely inspired act of God, or are in the middle of one. Either way, it's all good. Welcome aboard. Episode number four here, we're going to start with thesis number 25 and make our way through thesis 33. I got a couple of long ones in here. And I hope you're taking notes, and so I'll give you time to write that down. I know it goes kind of fast because people only listen so long to these episodes, but I'll try my best. First one is short. Thesis 25, meeting felt needs is not the primary mission of the church. Yeah, it's short, but this is a powerful, on the one hand, and somewhat challenging, conflicting issue on the other hand. And I say that with all love and kindness to churches of whole denominations who have, for reasons I don't understand, decided that meeting felt needs is the primary purpose of the church. 
that clearly is not the case if you read the Bible. It's clearly not what Jesus did. It's clearly not what Jesus died for. It's clearly not what Jesus gave as the mission he gave to his disciples to go and make disciples of all people. It is clearly true that Jesus had compassion when people were hungry, they were fed. When people were sick, he healed them. When people were troubled, he gave them hope and direction. But in that process, his main message was the message of the kingdom. It was to repent and believe, to turn your life around, go and sin no more. It's all over these miracles. Even the miracle of forgiveness was followed by a direction to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And guess what? A lot of those people did. Jesus had a following much bigger than the 12, men and women, old and young, all kinds of people, many of whom didn't even make it into the Bible. But we know the crowds are big and the followers are many. Somehow, in some way, some churches, whole churches, got the idea that if we're just nice to people and help people feed the hungry, whatever, that we're doing mission work. I'm sorry, that's not mission work. That's a part of mission work. That's part of what it means to be a true Christian. That's what it means to have integrity as a Christian, is to care for people in need. It's a non-negotiable deal, but it's not the mission of the church. The church has the mission of making disciples who are sensitive to the felt needs of people and who share the gospel. And sadly, there are whole denominations that have somewhat subtly but dramatically moved from reaching people for Christ to only meeting felt needs. And the only is the key issue there, not the fact that they're meeting needs. That's a good thing. And those denominations and those churches are headed for demise. They aren't going to grow. They're going to do a lot of great things in the name of Jesus, and that ain't all bad, but they're eventually going to go out of existence, and then they won't be making that impact at all. No one will, at least from that church or that denomination. How do I know that? I'm telling you, friend, it is a historical fact. You can follow the pattern in the last hundred years in America. You can see what happened at one time to the Salvation Army. Great, great movement. William Booth, I'll tell you what, this guy was on fire for Jesus. He saw people that had needs. He met those needs. They ultimately shared Jesus, and they started churches. I remember years ago, I consulted a Salvation Army church, and this church was dying. Why? Because they took part of what William Booth taught about meeting needs. They had a soup kitchen. They did a pantry. They did all kinds of great stuff, really good stuff. But they left out the God stuff without introducing people to Jesus. And so they called me in to consult them. Why? Because they were dying as a church. And now much of that movement of the Salvation Army has turned it around. Same thing that happened with the YMCA. Come on. The YMCA started as a movement to reach young men to become Christians. And then there was the YWCA that also reached young women to become Christians. And then it became the neighborhood gym. And then they lost that outreach. And I am absolutely ecstatic to share with you that somebody in that system of the YMCA, 
I don't know who it is. I haven't met him, but I'd love to because I'd like to give him a big hug for Jesus because someone in the YMCA has turned that back to its roots of being an outreach ministry. And now YMCA's more and more are having chaplains. They're having prayer rooms. They're doing outreach. They're hosting alpha classes. I tell you what, it's part of a renewal of Christianity. Amen and hallelujah to that, guys. Way to go. But they were headed for just another gymnasium. Anybody can do that. And that leads us to number 26. And this is a long one. I'll go slow. Thesis 26. Christians often feed the hungry without providing the bread of life. Let me pause here and say that is, of course, bread of life spelled with a capital B because Jesus is the bread of life. So Christians often feed the hungry without providing the bread of life. The second sentence is this. This is also accomplished by atheists and Muslims, along with a lot of good humanists, anybody you want to mention. The next sentence. Good works are great, but Christians uniquely point people to Jesus. Good works are great, but Christians uniquely point people to Jesus. Feeding the hungry or teaching little children in preschool are good things to do. Parenthetically here, I'll just add, there are a lot of churches that have great preschools. They're safe. They follow the laws. I'm sure all the people love the kids. And it happens to be housed in a room in a church. So feeding the hungry and teaching little children in preschool are good things to do. But without the mission commitment, they are not God things. So they're good things, but they're not God things. Next sentence. We're almost to the end. Christians often do good things as a feel-good placebo, but fall short of the eternal opportunities to introduce the Savior and bring real change beyond the symptoms. So most churches that we've worked with that have a preschool, the people that work in the preschool are not at all trained to share the gospel. Or if they're Christians and ought to share the gospel, they're not at all trained to reach the family for Christ. And what's pathetic about that is that if you have somebody's kids and you're helping their kids, it's one of the most powerful leverages God can use through somebody who's a trained witness, a trained missionary, to reach that whole family for Christ. It is absolutely a plan made in heaven. It is fantastic. Number 27, charity efforts in the name, by the motive of faith, are not acts of mission. They just aren't. They're acts of kindness. They're acts of charity. They're not acts of mission. Charity efforts in the name, by the motive of faith, are not acts of mission by themselves. Next sentence. Acts of mission include acts of charity, but also focus on eternal salvation as the ultimate objective. Acts of mission include acts of charity, but also focus on eternal salvation as the ultimate objective. So you feed hungry people for 30 years. And they die full and go to hell. Like, what's up with that? Come on. That's not what the church is all about. 
That isn't what uniquely we can bring to the party. What we can bring uniquely to the party, his name is Jesus. It's salvation through Jesus. It's eternal life. It's forgiveness of sins. It's new hope, new life. It's all of those blessings that come from the result of mission, knowing Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Teaching kids in a preschool, yeah, you might win the admiration of their parents for all the things that they're learning. But if those kids live a life without Jesus and die and lose the opportunity to be with Jesus forever, you just missed a huge opportunity. Come on. Number 28, charity and acts of mercy create an excellent, and I do mean excellent, an excellent platform for sharing the saving good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. When you help people and meet their needs, people become receptive. And when people become receptive, you need to know the importance of and know how to witness something we looked at in our last episode in one of our other theses. It's amazing what can happen. It's an excellent platform. Number 29, the church facility is not the destination for the Christian movement. Let me just pause there before I continue with the next sentence. But boy, it sure looks like it. People talk about where do you go to church? The first thing people want to know, what they really ought to ask is why do you go to church? That way you can be a witness. But it's all about the building being a destination. It's not what church you belong to. You belong to Jesus. Oh, and by the way, I worship at or I work out of this church. We need to turn that mentality around. So church facility is not the destination for the Christian movement. Next sentence of this thesis, it is the training ground and launch pad. It's where we equip people. And then the last part of this thesis, it is the training ground and launch pad. The world is the destination. In my book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival. In that book, one of the chapters, one of the proven strategies is about turning your church inside out. What that means is the church is not the destination. It's the training ground that the world, our neighbors, people where we work, people where we go to school, people where we have relationships, the people in our social networks, they're the destination. It's not about where you go to church. It's more about what church have you come from that you're doing this great work with people that don't know Jesus, both in word and deed, both in charity and proclamation, both in feeding the hungry and leading them to Jesus, the bread of life. The world is a destination. Thesis number 30. Most churches will continue to be less effective unless they turn their church inside out with focus toward the world. I'll read that one again. Most churches will continue to be less effective unless they turn their church inside out with focus toward the world. You see, this is not just a program, and this isn't just one quick sermon. This is the constant reminder that the destination is not the building, that those people in our social networks and anybody else we meet who feels and shows receptivity that's the destination. And to turn that around as a worldview of the people in your church is not a one-and-done sermon. I'll tell you that right now. This thesis is a long-haul, all-the-time reminder. 
because the natural inclination is to gather at the church with the idea that that is where you do church. That is where you do ministry. And it is a real change in worldview to turn that around. And I'm going to give you an example of that by turning to the next thesis, thesis 31. I put this in here just to give you a stark reality reminder of what it's like to turn your church inside out. So here we go. You ready? Number 31, the best place for your church office is in a strip mall where the church engages the marketplace. The best place for the church office is in a strip mall where the church engages the marketplace. You know, you can put a sign outside your church office on the campus of your church. On the sign, you can say, need help? Counseling inside. You know, the likelihood of somebody who's not churched, who's a non-Christian, to come out of that campus, come into that office, no matter how desperate they are for help, you know what the likelihood of that is? Probably one out of 500. Unless they're just looking for a handout, money. One in 500. And those people that do that for money usually are running a scam. And so they have no problem at all. They've been to a lot of churches, a lot of church offices. They go to them all, look for a handout. And they're not receptive to Jesus Christ. They're not mission material. So you put that same sign in the office at a strip mall. Somebody comes by and, well, that's their world. Now you're out in the world. Now you're out in the destination. Changes the dynamics entirely. Oh, but by the way, if you do that, and you have an office in a strip mall and you put that sign out there, you better have somebody around to counsel people or you're not going to get anything else done because we have a world of people with hurts. And that person that counsels those people better be trained to share their God stories and witness to people because it's going to happen. Your church is going to grow even though they don't yet know where it is or what it is. When Jesus said the Great Commission, if I'm not mistaken, the first word was go, not y'all come. Get it? Number 32, the biblical strategy for the church is to go, not y'all come. So transitioning to this one, we have to turn around this idea of inviting people to church. This sounds crazy, but as a church consultant and as somebody who desperately wants people to know Jesus and end up as responsible church members. That is my heart through and through, trust me. I'm telling you, do not invite someone who's not a Christian to church. Do not invite them to worship at your church. Sounds like heresy, doesn't it? How about if I add the words at first? Don't make that your first move, please. People aren't ready for worship. Why would an unchurched, non-Christian person attend a worship service that worships God, a God they don't yet believe in. Maybe they're just taking a step in the journey, but they're not there yet. Worship is for people who are people who are ready to worship the God they believe in. They've made the leap of faith. God has moved in their heart. The Holy Spirit has overcome them. You can't take a beginner and do that. That's about the worst thing you could do. It would be the best thing, take them to coffee or whatever they like, take them to lunch, whatever, and let them talk and grow the relationship and share your God stories. And it might be months before you ever get them into a church, but don't practice invite a friend to church Sunday. Bring a friend to church Sunday is really a bad idea. 
I apologize if you've done that. I don't mean to be offensive. It's really a bad idea. Unless they come up to you and say, I'm looking for a church. We're not going to our church anymore. Okay, then bring them to church. Not invite them. Literally bring them to your church. Walk in next to them. That's the way it works best. Because church isn't about the building. It's about relationships. Sit with them. Be with them. Take them out to lunch afterwards so they could debrief and ask questions. But the idea of inviting someone to church, putting all the pressure on them, forget it. Not in the secular world we live in. And finally, number 33. It's a little bit longer. Got a couple sentences. But hang with me. Most Christians do not understand the secular nature of those who are unbelievers. Now, just a caveat here before I go on with that sentence. People who've been unbelievers, they get it. They've been unbelievers most of their life, they get it. But for most people, been a Christian all their lives, no, they do not understand the secular nature of those who are unbelievers. Or the marginalized position of the church. A lot of Christians have no clue how people in our world today who are not Christians have put the church in their worldview way off on the very edge of the margins of their life, the way off on the margin of importance, way off on the margin of being a priority. Just forget that. It's not there. The next sentence in 33 is this. If Christians are in the process of reaching out to unbelievers, it is more effective at first to invite them to something social, to coffee, to lunch, to a football game, whatever their interests are. Here's the rest of the sentence. And share personal stories of faith. More effective to do that than it is to invite them to a worship service. We got to get over this thing. And so the second sentence again, if Christians are in the process of reaching out to unbelievers, it is more effective at first to invite them to coffee and share personal stories of faith than it is to invite them to a worship service. I honestly hope as I close this episode, and I pray that I have not offended you because I really do recognize I've been working with Christians that have their head in the world of the church so much that they don't understand the world of the world. I truly understand that this can be challenging, unsettling, uncomfortable, but please, I do not mean this as an offense. Yes, I get excited about it, but I am not looking with judgment upon anybody because that gets us nowhere. That's not really the point. I'm trying to lovingly, with my enthusiasm, share with you how you must change and how your church must change as well. God bless you for hanging with me. Thank you for your kindness in recognizing my need to be careful. And we'll be with you next time as we look at episode five and start out with thesis number 34. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. 
check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.